Good morning, Rich. It's good to be with you here this morning. Um, as I look through my notes and realize they are not in order. Um, <laughs> and I'm missing page one, but who needs page one, right? Um, so we will, don't worry, we will make it through. Uh, yeah, that's not even, there we go, there's page one. Sorry about that. Um, and we have uh, this wonderful journey that we've been going on as a church over the last couple of days is that we have, or a couple of days, a couple of months, is that we've been going through um, the Sermon of the Mount. We've been journeying through together uh, through this wonderful story that Jesus has been uh, talking to us about. Um, so if you have your Bibles, will you please open them up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter, um, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, that's the section that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be continuing Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20 is what we're going to read this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so if it's a little different to yours, don't panic. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to follow. It says, yeah, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. This is Jesus talking, or the prophets. I have come to... I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's our main verse this morning. Let's read verse 20 anyway. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this morning to unpack your word. Your word is alive. Your word speaks to us. And so we pray that this morning you would do so. You would speak powerfully. You would show Christ to us. You would challenge us. You would encourage us. Lord, that we would come away with a deeper heart stirred for more of Jesus, wanting him more to live in the life that you have planned for us to live. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So over the last couple of months, I'm saying we've been journeying through this Sermon of the Mount, and we started off the Sermon of the Mount, and I'm going to say this each and every single week, but we started off the Sermon on the Mount by saying that a Christian is characterized or primarily is someone who pursues after Jesus, who follows him. We see this in the Sermon on the Mount by the fact that when Jesus goes up the mountain, what happens? That everyone, those who want him, follow him. And that's what we need to be. We need to be a people that want Christ and follow after him. But Jesus says what happens is when, when you start to follow me, Man, there's this characteristics that start to come out of you. The Spirit starts to do a work in your life, and you are characterized by the Beatitudes. There's this difference in you. You start to change as a person as the Spirit starts to do a work in your life. And man, there's blessing that comes with that. But as a result of this changing, we said that Jesus starts to say that we are salt and light of the world. We start to become different to this world, and we are contrasted by it. We spoke about salt being a, a, an ingredient that adds some flavor. 
You know, we are, we are salt as Christians, and we add a bit of Jesus to this world. We, we are salt of the earth in that we also make people thirsty. Have, a, have you ever had too much salt? Man, you get thirsty, need some water, and they need the, water, uh, the living water, Jesus. And they start to want a little bit of that. But also, we, we said primarily salt is a preservative in the ancient world. And while we see the wickedness and the world decaying, one of our results and things that we need to do as we are characterized and we are different as we pursue Christ is that we see injustices happen and we slow those down by countering it, by doing good works. But also we said we are the light of the world. Man, I'm going to preach another sermon here. So uh, we, we are the light of the world. We are it. And we spoke about how as individuals we are called to be a light. Christ followers that pursue Jesus, we are called to be a light. But we are the light, but we are called to shine it. So the question is not whether you are light of the world. The question is, are you shining your light or are you hiding it under a basket? And we also called as these individual lights to come together and be a city of a hill. City on a hill that cannot be hidden. Shining brightly so that when the world sees us, they cannot deny it. They cannot say, they cannot be hidden. There, there is definitely a light that is shining. They cannot deny it as much as they want to. There is something that is different about this community of people in this dark world. And this light that we shine is Jesus. This hope that he gives. The, the protection he gives. The guidance he gives. This love that he gives. This is what we shine. And this is where the soup kitchen was stemmed out of. And then we looked at the, the passage that we have just read, and, and we saw that Jesus says, as he realizes, as he speaks to a Jewish congregation, that Jesus is talking about this radical different life, that we are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Man, we are going to be comforted by God. We are going to inherit the earth. We are going to be a people who are satisfied by God himself. We are going to receive mercy from God. We are going to be called sons and daughters. We are going to see God. And as he talks about all these things, the Jewish congregation and those who are hearing him go, but he hasn't spoken about the law. Has he come to abolish it? Has he, has he come to get rid of it, cast it aside? It would have been radical for them. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I've not come to get rid of it, but I've come to fulfill it. All the law, all the prophets, all of the Old Testament, man, it points to me. I have come and done it. And we looked at how Jesus did every single, but every dot and every iota. Jesus, which iota is the smallest letter, uh, uh, smallest letter. And so Jesus, all of it I have accomplished. All points to me. I have done it. I have fulfilled it. And as a result... Those of us who follow Christ, we fall under this blessing that Jesus has done it all because we cannot. And we are set free from the law because Christ has done it all. You follow me here? And as a result of that, man, we are secure in Jesus. And this is what we spoke about last week. We are secure in Jesus. We do not enter the kingdom of God by doing good works. Man, we enter it by Jesus. We do not stay in the kingdom of God by doing good works. We stay in the kingdom because of Jesus. But the question comes and is naturally asked when we talk about how we are securing Christ in the kingdom. That it's not by good works that we stay there. The question then arises, does that mean I can live the life that I want to? Can I just... If I am saved and there's nothing that I can do to get rid of it, can I just live the life that just allows me to live the life that I desire and please? And believe it or not, you're not the first person to ask this question. 
We see this in Romans 6. Paul talks about how once we were slaves to sin, but now we are set free from it. And he, he anticipates this question. Well, then, can I then just live the life that I want to so that grace might, might abound? And he goes, by no means. We can't do that. Man, Jesus doesn't allow it himself, right? In this, in this Sermon of the Mount, we have seen in the Beatitudes, we are characterized as people of pursuing Jesus that there's this life change in us. We are poor in spirit, which, which means we understand our sinfulness before this holy God. And it, we, we come and we plead and say, Lord, I need to depend on you. Because of my sinfulness, I need to depend on you. Which results in what? A mourning. A mourning of sin. A mourning of our state. But remember when we did this months ago, that the mourning that we're talking about here is not a mourning of just emotion of just feeling bad, but it's one that results in action and change in a pursuit for righteousness. We used uh, Judas as an example. Judas, there's this word that he afterwards, he feels awful of what he's done, but there's no action that changes afterwards. But there was Peter who denied Christ, who abandoned him in his darkest hour. There's repentance that happens. There's a mourning that takes place, but there's an action. He gets restored. And we need to be like a Peter when we see how sin, man, we're all sinful here. But when we see it, there needs to be an action. There needs to be a change in it. That needs to happen first. And so we see this. We, we see in the Beatitudes as well that we need a hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says. Man, we need to be pure in heart. Scripture does not allow us to just get to a point where we can go, man, I can just live the life that I want. No, we are securing Jesus, yes. But there's something more. There's something greater. There's something else. Salvation is just the start. God has a plan for us to do something else. And this has always been the case. We see this uh, in the Exodus. So Israel are uh, slaves to uh, the Egyptians for nearly 400 years or so. <laughs> They've been a slave to the Egyptians. And God eventually sends Moses to come and tell Pharaoh to let them go. And he does this. Nine times and nine times, Pharaoh, God sends a plague. And nine times, Pharaoh says, no, I will not let your people go. You cannot leave. But on the tenth time, God says, that's fine. I'm going to send an angel of death. And everyone's firstborn is going to die. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm still not going to let your people go. And so God tells Moses to tell the Israelites what they need to do is they need to go and get a one-year-old lamb. They need to, he needs to be spotless, uh, no blemishes on him, uh, no, and mustn't be deformed. And what you're going to do is you're going to slaughter this animal, you're going to have a feast, you're going to eat it, but you're going to take the blood of this lamb and you're going to put it on the doorposts of your house. And the angel of death is going to come over and when he sees this blood on the doorpost, he's just going to go oh, past your house. But if he doesn't, he's going to go in there and kill your firstborn. And so what happens, the, the Israelites do this. They, they do this, what we call the Passover feast. And what happens is the angel of death goes over Egypt and passes over all those houses and the people of Israel set free. But it doesn't stop there. It didn't end there. There was a journey to take. There was a life to live. There was obstacles to overcome. There was a wilderness to go through. There was a promised land to get. They had to do stuff. It wasn't just over at that point. They had to leave immediately and do a work. And they had to go off. And off to the promised land they had to go. And the same is with us, church. The blood is just the start. 
Jesus Christ has died for us. He has set us free. He has come. He is our Passover lamb. His blood has covered our sins. We are saved by the blood alone. We believe in this Jesus and we are brought into the kingdom of God. But there is still a journey for us to take. There's still a life for us to live. There's still a plan for us to fulfill. There's still something for us to do. Jesus has not just saved us out of death and sin, but he has saved us into a life, a life of purpose. Scripture talks like this. We see this in in Philippians 2 verse 2. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. Man, work it out in your life. You've received the salvation. Now, Now work it out. How does it apply to every aspect of who you are? In your work, in your play, how does it change you? Work it out. Hebrews 2 verse 3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Man, you have it, don't neglect it. Apply it. Work it in you. See how it works out in your life. Matthew 21 uh, verse 4 and uh, says this, the stone that the builder, is talking about Jesus, rejected has come has become the cornerstone. Again, we see in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, it says, For no one uh, can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus. What are foundations and cornerstones useful, church? Why are they laid to be built upon, to work? Christ has come and laid this foundation, but there's something that still needs to happen. There's a work that needs to take place. It is a building that needs to be built upon this Jesus, upon the salvation. But probably a verse that speaks about this no greater is, um, is Philipp, uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, which says that we, talking about us, those who follow Christ, are his God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should work in. Uh, so that we should walk in them. Isn't that great? Let me read that again. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before the foundation of the world. God has prepared them so that we might walk in them. So Jesus has given us the salvation. All be- by his work, he has given it to us so that we might enter into salvation and do something and live a life of purpose. We have this purpose in which he wants us to fulfill and so there is this need for us to lay hold of what christ has laid hold for us he has laid hold of for us a salvation so that we might live it out but this morning i want to point out that this verse particularly verse 19 in which we are primarily focusing on this morning is that There is, in order to be great in the kingdom of heaven, because there's a sense of being great, obedience needs to take place. Obedience is important for us, so that we, uh, it's a criteria for us, so for doing great things and living out the purpose in which God has for us. We see again this in the Beatitudes, that obedience is important in order for us to do great things. At first, what we see is we, we are poor in spirit, which results in us mourning our sin. And then we become meek, which means it's not about building our kingdom, it's about building God's. It's not about us, it's about Christ's. Man, we become people who are merciful, 
merciful, which means we, we see the state of the world and we apply mercy. We want to be a, an agent of mercy to them. That also means we are peacemakers as well. But as a result, and as a result of that, we become salt and light. So it starts off first with a place of obedience, pursuing Christ, living for Him. And so if you, if you want to be a people who achieve the purpose that God has planned for you, and you aren't becoming righteous, then you're not gonna, it's not going to happen. Because it starts with seeking Christ and living for Him. And then as a result of that, can we live out our plan for our lives? And so the question that we have this morning is, how then do we become a people that live purpose? We need to become righteous. But if that's not happening in our lives, what's the problem? The problem is that our love for Christ and our love for Him has dwindled. The flame has gone out. Because remember, it all starts off with what? Pursuing Him and wanting Him. That's where it starts. And if we don't have this deep desire for more of Him, man, then our desire to live righteously disappears. And if our desire to live righteously disappears, then our purpose and the plan that He has for us disappears as well. Are you following me? Are you tracking me there? And so there's this need for us to stir up a purpose, in the pur uh, a passion for more of Jesus so that we might live out the purpose for God, that we might live for Him passionately. But there is this call to actively pursue Christ. Actively do so. Choose to do it. Want Him to do it. And, and if, if we... If we do not hunger and thirst for Christ, and it does not result in purpose, then may I suggest to you this morning that if we're not living in the plan that God has planned for us, then we are going to get less of Christ. To lay aside the plan that He has for you, to not, to not want to live in the purpose that He has for you, church, is to say, man, I don't want all of what Christ has for me. I don't want all of what He is because he has saved us out of this, into this plan and purpose. He has given you all of these things to do, to experience him more in it, to glorify him more in it. And to not do it means to get less of him. Do you get that? It's so important to see that the plan and purpose that he has got for us is so much more than just doing stuff. It's there so that we might experience all that he has for us. To lay that aside is to lay aside Christ or more of all of him and all that he wants. But primarily this focus of this sermon this morning that I want to focus on is that what we see in this passage is that there is this call for greatness. There is this call to be great. It says here, let's read verse 19 again. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so there's this idea that Christ has called us and has planned something for us that we might be great. To do something great. His plan and purpose for us is is something that is great. Not necessarily in the eyes of this world. 
You might not be seen as great in the eyes of the world. Heck, you might not even be seen as uh, great in the eyes of your peers, the people sitting next to you in the chairs. But the call is to be great in the eyes of God, to be great uh, in the kingdom. That's the call. That's the ask. And and as I say that this morning, I realize that there are two kinds of reactions to that. The first reaction to that, uh, the first kinds of people that have a reaction to this is that we are people who get fearful of it. Man, we, we don't necessarily, this idea of challenge and a big task and a big thing to do, man, that, that, can, that can make us fearful, a bit weary. Man, I'm tired. I do so much already. I don't want to have to, there's just so much for me to do. I don't know if I can do this. And that's the first reaction. The second reaction is you're the type of person who likes a challenge. Man, you love to be tested. And you're in. You're game. You're like, yes, something, purpose. I want that. I want to get this. And so you get excited for it. There's something you want to get. But what we've got to realize this morning, and the first thing that I, I want uh, to tell you is that um, the first thing that I want to talk about is to the people that, that are, are fearful is that you need to realize that though this task is there, it is, and the call for you is big, it is, is that you are not alone in doing this. The, the beauty of, of what Jesus is calling us to do in this plan that he has for us is that we might be and be able to do this with Christ. Jesus, when he gives us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, what he says, go out and make disciples of all nations. Man, this is a, a command for all us to do. This is a big challenge, isn't it? Go out and make disciples of all nations. But he doesn't just end it there. In verse 20, what does he say? Behold, I am with you until the end of the age. He, he calls us to something big, but he is always there with us. Often we see in Scripture, Jesus, uh, um, the Lord say throughout, particularly the Old Testament, do not be afraid. Why? Because I, the Lord, your God, am with you. He gives them these tasks. He comes to Gideon and he says to Gideon, Gideon, go and conquer the Moabites. I can't do it. I am the least of the least. My tribe is the least and I am the least in my family. And who's the least in the tribe? He says, do not be afraid for I am with you. He says that to David. He says that to Jonathan. And he says that to Joshua. It's Joshua who has to take over this massive task of, of, uh, from Moses to now go into the promised land to conquer the Canaanites. And he says to Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 9, a famous verse, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Man, and that's just a, something that we can take home this morning for all of us. To know that the task in which we've been called to is big. But know that God is with you. The king who has given you the command is saying, go and do this. This is the life that I have planned for you, but I'm going to be there every step of the way with you. Isn't that comforting? So, so while that you might fear the task at hand, you might not be the one that likes to jump at it. Know that God is with you in this. But what about you that get excited about it? Man, you, you, you're keen, you game, you want challenges. The words of Jesus in John 15, verse 15, need to ring true in our heads. Ring in our hearts, be in our minds. He says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
The challenge that we have as people who like big challenges is that we want to test ourselves. We want to see what we can do. How far can we push ourselves? And as a result, we often rely on our own strength. We often think, I can do this. Man, I love this. And we give it a bash. We give it a go. But church, I want you to know that the task that God has called you to is bigger than you. It is. And if you try to do it in your own strength, you will fail and you will break and you'll become weary and despondent. You will. And Jesus says to us, apart from me, we can do nothing. But why is that the case? Why has God called us to something greater than ourselves? Man, there's two reasons this morning that I want to talk about. The first is that it calls us to come and depend on Him. Man, we realize that we are incapable of doing the task in which God has called us to do, that we have to come to Jesus to ask Him for our strength and help. It forces us to. A people that are living in the purpose of God that, they have, that God has for their lives, man, it forces them to come and say, Lord, I need you. The task in which you have called me is far bigger than my, uh, that I can do. I cannot get this off the ground. I cannot overcome this obstacle. I cannot do this. Lord, help. Give me wisdom. Give me strength. People that are living in the prayer, uh, living in the purpose that God has for them, are characterized by prayer. Because we constantly have to come to God for help, for strength. And the second reason is because God doesn't share his glory Man, if we could do it our own strength, at the end of the day, we would stand there and beat our own drum and bang our own chests and say, look at me, look what I have done. But because we are incapable of doing it, what we have to do is we have to come and say, Lord, if this gets off the ground, it's all because of you. Church, if we are able to somehow make a difference in this community through a soup kitchen, it's not because we are great. It's because of Christ, because he has done it. We are just a bunch of average Joes here. Look at our church. We're not booming. We're not rich. But if we can make a difference, it's all because of Christ. And if he's called us to make a difference in this community, he can do it. Man, the, the task at hand is big. But we trust in him to do the work that he wants to do. It's bigger than us, but he can make a difference. And it's all his glory, all for him. That's a warning for us as well. Warning for us to know that, man, if we try to take it our own, we will fail and fall. Depend on him, church, because he will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you. Do not be afraid. The task at hand is big, but he is able to achieve it. He is able to do it. But what is greatness? What is defined as great? What is the standard of greatness, right? Is it, is it that you have to win a certain amount of souls? You have to at least get 20 in your lifetime to, or to, be, to be characterized as great. Or do you have to read your Bible a certain amount of times in a year or in your lifetime? Is it about your church attendance? Is, is greatness dependent on how big your ministry is? Is greatness uh, dependent on church planting or preaching or, or running soup kitchens? Is greatness dependent on spiritual gifts and how you use them? What is greatness dependent on? Because if it is dependent on these things, then it becomes a little tricky, doesn't it? Because if greatness is about uh, winning loads of people to Christ. It's a bit of a disadvantage for us that don't have the gift of evangelism. 
because we're all called to do it. But some people have the gift. Man, Billy Graham, Angus Buchan have the gift of evangelism. I have a friend called Gigino that has led two people to Christ over a wrong phone call. They called the wrong number and he has led them to Christ. Gift of evangelism. It's a bit unfair for those of us who don't have it. We're all called to do it. But we will never be great then. What what if it's it's the best, what Paul says, the the greatest gift, prophecy? Man, then we, we find ourselves in a bit of a pickle there as well because not everyone has the gift. So it's only for a select few. Is it hospitality? Again, it's something that we're all called to do, but some of you here, particularly at the ritual, graded it. But not everyone. So is uh, spiritual gifts, uh, a certain spiritual gift defined what greatness is? Well, there's also the, even the dynamic that comes into play. Well, some of us uh, have bigger gifts than others. It's just a reality of the matter that some people have been gifted with greater capacity than other people. We see this in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Jesus tells of this parable of the talents. He talks about how a master is going on a long journey and he wants to leave his servants in charge of some stuff while he's away. He goes to the first servant and he gives him five talents. Now, five talents might seem like nothing to you, but one talent is worth roughly around about 20 years worth of wages. So five talents, a hundred years worth of wages. Man, I've given you this massive responsibility. Look after it. Do something with it. He goes to the other guy and he he only gives two. But I mean two. That is 40 years worth of wages. And he goes to his other servant and he gives him one. And you go, oh man, he's only gotten one. But he has been given a massive amount, 20 years worth of wages. If anyone wants to give me 20 years of my wage, I'm happy to take it. 20 years. He says, look after it, use it. But the guy, when the master comes back, he comes to those servants and he says, what have you done with it? What have you done with all these talents that I have given you? And he says to him, the one that has five says, man, I have made it 10. I have taken 100 years worth of wages and here is 200. Now that's a good servant. He has 200 years worth of wages. He goes to the one who gave two and he says, I've, what have you done? He says, man, I have taken the 40 years and I have made it 80. But if you look at it, they've both doubled their wages. But yet the one who's doubled his wages with two hasn't even got what the other guy started with. In our minds, what's greater? The 200 for sure. So is the size of gifting then what counts and will determine what greatness is? I don't know. I don't think so. Because even if we, because it's nothing we can do about the size of our gifting. We have been given it by the Spirit. He decides what we get and how much we get of it. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11. He determines what we get. We can pray and ask, but He determines what we get. So how then is, is greatness dependent on? Is it greatness dependent on the size of our gifting and how much we achieve? May I suggest to you this morning that greatness is not dependent on what we do in terms of particular gifting. Greatness is not dependent on how much we do, but greatness depends on how faithful you are. Faithfulness, church, will determine whether or not you will be seen as great in the kingdom. is how faithful you are. Faithfulness. Man, and faithfulness to what and with what is, I guess, the question we need to ask. Faithfulness, firstly, in our pursuit of Christ. 
and our pursuit of Christ in our results in, in being obedient and doing the work of Jesus. Living for Him, doing His commands will determine how great we are. Are we faithful? We see that in this, in this passage. It talks about how if anyone relaxes the least of these, and these, these teachings and do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It's about doing the commandments of Christ that will determine, being faithful to what he teaches will determine if we're going to be great in that kingdom. You might point out rightfully, but Joe, these here are talking about the commandments of God in, in terms of the law. But remember, we've spoken about Jesus has fulfilled it. And in the Great Commission, right at the end of his teaching, what does he say? In, in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations doing what? Teaching them all that I have commanded you. Christ says we must do what he has, because he has fulfilled the law. So his teaching is what we need to do. We need to live out his teaching. And it's a faithfulness to that that would determine whether or not we're going to be great. Why? Because faithfulness in obedience is a pursuit of Christ. That's why it's important. That's why it's important. Faithfulness also in using in what we've been given in terms of our, our gifting, our opportunity, the, the space that we are. How faithful are you with what you've been given? We go back to that parable of the talents. We see the, the person who's been given five talents and has made it ten. Man, great servant. Awesome. Achieved 200 years with the wages. That is amazing. And what does the uh, master come back, which represents Christ in this case? He comes back and he says to him, well done, my good and faithful servants. Words we all desire and need to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servants. But when he goes to the guy with two talents and who's made it to four, he, what does he say to him? Good job, mate? No. The praise and the approval is exactly the same. Well done, my good and faithful servants. It is about faithfulness, not the size of the gifting that matters, but how faithful we are with the gifting we've been given, church. There's this call. Man, there are some of you in this room who are sitting with five talents. There's some with two and there's some with one. It doesn't matter. It is about your faithfulness with it. You can have five talents and not be faithful with it and not be called great. You can have two and not be faithful with it and not be called great. You can have one, but you can be faithful and be called great. Because it's about how faithful you are with the gifting and opportunity you've been given. Use the church. Be faithful with what you've got. Be faithful with what you've got. Not only that, the last thing we're going to talk about when it comes to what faithfulness is, is that it is faithfulness to what? Faithfulness to make much of Christ and not ourselves. Using the gifting sometimes can be a tricky thing. As humans, we like to uh, make much about ourselves. It's a natural tendency. It's our, it's our sinful nature in us. Um, we see this particularly the Soccer World Cup's going on at the moment, and, and the great players love to call themselves, this is a strange thing, they love to call themselves GOAT. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. Because it stands for greatest of all time. But they give themselves that name. We like to do it. We like to make, oh, look how good I have done challenge for us if we are to be faithful and the call is not to make much of our name but to make much of Christ's that's what it's about we see this in 1 Corinthians uh, 3 verses uh, 12 
1 Corinthians 3 verses 12 to 15. I'm going to read it slowly and unpack it as we go. It says, now if anyone builds on the foundation, this is Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, woods, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will uh, disclose it because it will be re- revealed by fire and the, te- the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So that sounds a bit strange. So what he, he's saying here, there's this foundation, remember Jesus, the salvation in which we have with Jesus and people have built, whether you know it or not, you are building on this foundation. There are certain materials in which we use to build. There's this gold, there's the silver and this precious stones to build upon this foundation. But there's also wood, hay, and straw. And at the end of the time, we're going to come and we're going to stand before God. And he's going to test our works in which we have done, our lives in which we have done on building here by fire. What's going to stand the fire? Not the wood, not the hay, not the straw. The things that are going to last are the gold, silver, and precious stones. And the gold, silver, and precious stones here, church, are are our faithfulness in making much of Christ, doing His plan and work for us. But the hay, wood, and straw are us living for ourselves or even using the ministry platform to make much about us. And so there's this reward at the end. We see verse 15 here. It says, and if anyone's work is burned up and, uh, sorry, verse 14, it says, if anyone's work that, sorry, if the work that anyone has built on this foundation survives, it will be, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through the fire. And there's this call for us to use our opportunities, to be faithful to make much of Christ and ourselves. I'm going to close with this this morning. And it must be said, in the passage that we have read this morning and in this passage we have just read now, there seems to be there are those who are least in the kingdom. There is. And those who are least will be called, those are ones who are least faithful. Least faithful. And in doing so, if we aren't faithful with our gifting, we aren't faithful in making much of Christ. We aren't faithful in pursuing Him, being obedient. We will give up these amazing words, well done, my good and faithful servant. We will lose our reward and we'll be caught least. Our reputation will be damaged, particularly on the side of the grave. And we'll stand before Christ one day smelling like smoke because all our works will have been burnt up. And church, we are comforted by the fact, comforting, just don't hear me wrong here, we will be comforted by the fact that we are securing Jesus. Man, if you have messed up and lived the life that you want, you are secure. You'll be saved through the fire. But you are securing Christ because it's all about His work. But there is still this call to come and do much and receive much and be called great and not least and lose lots. And you might say to me this morning, but I don't care, I just want to make it to heaven. And I understand that sentiment. I really do. I don't care about the gifts. I don't care about the rewards. I don't care about being called great. If I can just make it to heaven, that's great. And I understand that sentiment. I do. But may I say that your thinking might be a little bit faulty. Because there will be one day we will stand before our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will see him as clear as day. Through, as looking face to face, says Corinthians. Not in a mirror dimly 
That's scratched and we'll see him clearly. And for the first time in our lives, we will see the holiness of God in a, a way we've never understood. We will see the might and the magnitude and the glory of our Savior. We will see him as awesome as he is and amazing as he is. And we will see and understand more the grace of God that we have received in any other point in our lives. We will understand that we have received much grace, much mercy, that his love for us is extremely steadfast and abounds more than we can understand. And this will be a great blessing to us. But now we will stand there and go, you have saved me for much. You have given me this life to live, and yet I have not. Man, don't do that. How great will it be to stand there and say, Lord, all that I have done, it's all because of you. This is all that I have done for your glory and for your name. The ask for us, church, is not to be great in the eyes of the world and to save the world. The ask for us is to be faithful. That's all. Faithful. Faithful with who, we, who we've been given to minister to around us. Faithful with our gifting. Faithful in pursuing Christ. Don't worry about dotting the I's and crossing the T's and what's that going to look like and just be faithful and you'll be called great. That's it. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. And it might seem like a daunting task, but remember, Christ is with you every single step of the way. You can't do it yourself. That's a comfort. That is comforting to know that you can't. It's only by depending on Jesus that you can do it. Man, that's awesome. And if you do that, depend on him, rely on him, you will be seen as great in the kingdom. Not in this world, but in this kingdom, in the eyes of God. That is awesome. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful that you are a God who has come to save us. You've given us salvation. You've given us life eternal that will last forever. And Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would help us as a church to see exactly what you have saved us into. You've given us more than just salvation. You've given us a life of purpose, a life to be lived, a life to glorify your name, every aspect of it. And Lord, this call is great. It's bigger than what we can handle. The task is, is greater than all that we can do. But Lord, we, we just can depend on you. Give us the strength, empower us to do so. Help us to cling to our Savior Jesus as we, as we do this task at hand. But Lord, I, I know for certain that in this there will be joy, there will be a life of purpose, that there will be a satisfaction like no other. Help us as a church to get that. Lead us and guide us in this, we pray. Help us to be a people that are characterized by faithfulness. And people, when they look at us, they know that we are faithful. Faithful. Not great in the eyes of the world, but faithful in the eyes of Christ. That's what we want. Stir in us a desire for more of Jesus, we pray. We want him. In Jesus' name, amen.